0: Quantitative data that makes a difference. You're talking a hundred plus. Uh, good luck getting anybody answering a survey. People said about. I think the percentage is something like I don't know, fifteen percent people might answer a survey. Um, I had a student once. She was an excellent uh, MA student. She was also a practicing teacher. She had this brilliant idea to do some work with the with the with the students uh, to look at uh, unconscious bias. And she had two classes, and she said, "But because the kids were secondary school kids, so they she had to get parental approval. So she sent letters to all the parents. Out of about sixty parents, I think eight sent the approval. It, it's just one of these things. People just don't. They don't respond. I don't think it's, they did not that they disapprove. They just didn't." Probably there were kids who were teenagers, and they weren't really interested what the kids were doing at school, whatever. And suddenly it's just like, oh, I can't do this as I wanted. So we had to change because I was a supervisor, the design. So it became quali- qualitative, essentially, with the with the, with the work she did with the with the aid. And she actually chose. She asked some colleagues to to to, uh, to join them and the, in the uh, unconscious bias uh, test. Uh, it was really about just a snapshot. So it beca- becomes an illustrative example so the qualitative data becomes an illustrative example so it's really important when you come to your uh, research methods uh, chapter in your dissertation or section that you are very clear why you are using these methods and how they will help you answer your question or give you some indication about the answer to your question by the way if anybody has any question anytime time just stop me okay so it can be empirical and as i said um, I would if you would like to go on to a doctorate, I would encourage you to do an empirical data. Uh, But it doesn't mean that, you you know, you you can still go on to a doctorate without that. Now, but do check which university to apply for, because for a while at Greenwich, they wouldn't accept you for a doctorate unless you had done an empirical research for your MA. I don't think it's the case anymore, because Gordon now is a programme leader, and I think he's he's a bit more relaxed about this. Yes, uh, who is it, Patrick?
1: I can you. I think you're still muted. The second aspect of the project, when you talk about the systematic you know, the particular topic. Yes. Yeah. Can you just
0: step on how yeah I'm going to go through it so I it's not a different aspect it's actually different types of dissertations you can have okay so to start with you can have an empirical piece of research or if yeah. you can't get data if it's difficult for you to gather um, primary data and it is going to be difficult in lockdown mind you having said that because everybody is used to zoom now and used to these things people are accepting uh, you know that you're more likely to have people say yeah i don't mind you interviewing me because i don't have to meet you anyway they can just be sitting in the the pajamas and just you know have a chat with you i'm not going to show you what i'm wearing under my sweatshirt so there you go <laughs> so essentially we are also thinking our pajamas at term doing this so it's like great it's no problem um it's actually much easier so Example. So years ago, I had a uh, MA student. She was uh, quadrilingual. She had four languages. Her fourth language was English, but she was an expert on linguistic and second languages. And she wanted to do her dissertation on uh, children, uh, bilingual and multilingual children and the issues they faced. But she didn't want to go out. She didn't have she was full time. She couldn't go out and do uh, primary data that would have taken months and years. She wanted to do a systematic review of all the literature under that topic. So, everything that, you know, a very large, not everything, a very large amount of literature that has been uh, uh, re- of research around the topic of uh, multilingual and bilingual kids. And uh, do you know how many papers she looked at for her review? In her case, it was 94 papers. She had looked at 120-something, but of the 120, it was 94 she concentrated on. So a systematic review, and uh, quite a few students choose to do a systematic review, is actually exactly what it is. You go through the research systematically, you have some themes, and you re- you use published research to look at these different themes and come to some understanding. Now, the way you do it is you don't actually just repeat what's inside the the the... the the research the journal articles you actually start making connections you look at one in the light of the other and you weigh them against each other so those of you who did soki with me uh last term and we had the paper from gorod that's exactly what they did in gorod and his research team they actually did a meta-analysis which is even bigger they looked at almost everything that has been researched on the topic. now you are ma students nobody is expecting you to do a meta-analysis usually it's a whole research team who does that but if you are going to go just for literature, you have to be very, very comprehensive and very clear in the way you set up your themes and the literature you look under the different themes and how you set up your research questions and how you look uh, and you choose literature and you, how you approach them in the analysis to answer these questions. Is that okay, Patrick? Yes, thank you. Okay, So I am expecting a few of you to just do a systematic review of literature. I don't expect you to go to 94 journal articles, but I expect you to have quite a, and, and people will say, to how many? Well, we're talking at least 35, let's be honest. You know, that's a third of what that student did, but no less than that, because you really want to have a systematic review of the literature on this. Sorry,
1: Rania, what
0: did you say? You said at least how many? 35. 35? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's if you're doing a systematic review of literature. Mind you, even if you do, go back to the number one. Uh, Even if you do an empirical piece of research, you have to have a literature review. And that has to be also comprehensive. Now, for that, we're talking 20 or more. Now, I'm giving you a ballpark figure. Sometimes, depending on the topic, you might be doing a philosophical treatise, And you might just want kind of, you know, if you're really into the philosophy of something, you might be really looking at somebody in detail and in depth and doing a philosophical analysis. But, you know, if, unless you are doing that and then you have to approach me saying I'm doing a philosophical analysis, then we'll have to agree. But your supervisor will be able to guide you. Now, I don't have any numbers. I didn't, put, I didn't quote these numbers in the handbook because it's a bit like how long is a piece of string. It, is, it depends on the topic. It depends on your research design. It depends on your research questions. All of this. You know, everything you do will depend on your focus. There isn't a one standard that fits all, okay? And your your supervisor is the one to guide you. Your supervisor will be guiding you. And the supervisor will be somebody from my colleagues, from the school. They've all been supervising MA students for a long time, so they're real experts. Currently, I don't have a lot of hours, so I might not be able to take a lot of you as, as supervisees, unfortunately, uh, because I'm... Um, I've got I'm a bit full on my timetable right now, but I might be able to take a couple. But also, I am there as your program leader as well as the RC1010 uh, module leader, so you can always come to me and you will be talking to me at different times. But I won't, once you have a supervisor, you're working with them, I will not come in on the line because I don't want to disturb the relationship between you and your supervisor, and it's a very important relationship. Mm. Now, so you can do either, I should have put these in numbers because this, it just looks like uh, they are the same thing. Let's let's go put them in numbers because I think numbers will make them easier. That's much better. Okay. So we said you can have an empirical piece of research. You can have a systematic review. It's all, or, or It's all of this or, or a contextual analysis of documentary sources such as national or institutional policies. So for instance, somebody might want to do a contextual analysis of the curriculum, let's say. So you use but it it, it, you still have a literature review. All of your dissertations will have a literature review. There will always be a literature review, okay? And then you can go on to, to other things. Now, a contextual analysis of documentary means, for instance, you want to look at policies and you want to compare policies, let's say, teacher education policies between two different countries. So you'll have your literature review on teacher education, but you'll also have to have your focus first. What is it you're comparing? Are you comparing whether some some uh, you know whether some countries are masters level some countries are not are you comparing funding are you comparing what is the what's the content of teacher education what is your focus then you look at literature around that focus. What has what have other people published on this? Then you come to looking at, for instance, you want to look at the policy. So you look, you analyze literally the policy, or you analyze the documents. Let's say you want to look at school policies, and you want to do a contextual analysis. So you're going through it in detail. You're actually using the literature as a, 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 a prism or a, a lens to really to really interrogate aspects of this policy. So your literature is always like a lens to interrogate what you're looking at. Whether what you're looking at is secondary data, you know what secondary data is, it's stuff that you get from other people, so it's policy or documents or the curriculum or other people's publication, or whether you're looking at primary data, oh, cute dog, Annette, Uh, I love it when pets just join us, Uh, my, my cat's just sleeping somewhere. So your literature review is your lens. I remember once having a very good MA student who did a brilliant piece of work on how students are using at, at Greenwich, and he's now moved to America. Because at, at the end, we used to do, uh, even before online, we used to do supervision on, face, on FaceTime because he'd moved to the States. And he was looking at how students at the university were using the student services, like uh, student union services or other, you know, like the extracurricular activities. And he wanted to see if they were more likely to use them if they're paying more fees. Because at the time, the fees had gone from 1,000 to 3,000 to 6,000 or whatever before they went to 9,000. So he was looking at different years interviewing. Anyway, cut a long story short, really good piece of research. The trouble is, when he came to the analysis, he dropped some of the threads from the literature. So there were some areas he identified as important to look at. When he gathered the data, let's say he had six, seven areas of importance. He only looked at four and forgot about three, or he looked at five and forgot about two. So that kind of just pushed because the connection wasn't there. Uh, so, so anyway, so that's why the literature is really important. The literature is your uh, lens, it's your uh, benchmark, it's what you're comparing things to, it's what you're using to uh, interrogate the data you are gathering, all right? The, the, the findings from other people's literature, from your literature review, is what the framework you are using to interrogate the data. Whether the data is secondary or primary, the framework is your literature review, All right. I know it's not everything's this and there so maybe you should take notes i'm i'm hoping and no i did not record that sorry maybe i should start recording now sorry about that mind you those it's no no you know what i'll do i'll do another panopto thing and i'll record it for you and i'll I'll repeat everything i've said now or it can be a piece of action research do people know what action research is you should have done you should know you've done the session with, with the thing with jane great so if you are practicing and you want to do an intervention with your students, and then you want to evaluate that intervention, that's an action research, all right? And uh, the ethics for it are a bit tricky, so very important to discuss the ethics for it with your, uh, uh, with your supervisor. Amalit, do you have your hand up? No, you do. Okay. And um, if you are working with young children in schools, then uh, you need parental approval. Now, if you already are doing something which is part of your job, you still need parental, appro- parental consent for using the data of the children, even though the data of the children is anonymous, which is kind of tricky sometimes because you, especially if you're collating the data. Uh, but again, discuss it with your supervisor because if you're using uh, collated data where no child is identified, that it could be that just the approval of the head teacher that you can use the collated data uh, is all that's needed. Again, depending on your focus, discuss with your supervisor. Uh, and yes, number five all of the above contain a literature review. So don't just think the literature review is for those who are doing a literature based only. All of these will have a literature review. Any questions so far? Great. All right, so it's 12,000 to 16,000 words. Some of you might be thinking, oh my God, there's so many. Trust me, you'll be trying to cut things out eventually. By the time you've written the intro, by the time you've done your, uh, your methods chapter, by the time you've done your literature review, by the time you've done your findings, by the time you've done your analysis and then your conclusion or your discussion and conclusion, Sometimes people way, go way over and have to trim it. It doesn't include the appendices, so you can have appendices that doesn't include it. Um, now, it is a big, you know, it's 4,000 words difference, but basically, I think it's to give you that, that, that freedom. Usually, uh, a lot of students are more towards, you know, kind of 14,000 around that ballpark because that's what, what people kind of need almost. To, to write this up. Anything less, it's, it's, it's really not going to be enough. If you go through everything you've done, particularly the literature review, the literature review is always hefty. It's anything between 6,000 and 8,000 words, just the literature review. You're not going to get a good, decent literature review for less than 6,000 words. So the literature review in itself is quite hefty. Uh, there's a structure in the handbook. Please have a look at it. Uh, We encourage you to use that, although you may wish to add sections or chapter headings. I might also share with you different structures, uh, particularly if you're doing a literature review or your supervisor might. So don't feel constrained. However, you really should have an abstract, which is something you write at the end of your dissertation. I'm going to have to remind people that uh, you have an introduction. Uh, Yes, the introduction is where you say why you chose this topic, the rationale for it, you give an indication of what are the key literature around it, the key issues in there, you look at your aims and objectives, your research questions, and you give the reader an idea of how you're going to to try and explore that topic. That's your intro. So the intro is again, never less than a thousand words in itself, because it's different to the abstract. The abstract is around 200 to 150 words. The abstract gives, uh, in a a nutshell, basically what your project was about. So you write it at the end, having finished the project, and having got your results. You you never say in the abstract, I will be doing this. You don't say that. In the abstract, you always say, this paper has done this. That's what it looked at. That's how it did it. That's what it found. It's very simple. Very, very simple, the abstract. Still a lot of people get it wrong. It's a very short thing. The introduction is really the preliminary. Why am I doing this? The justification, why is it an interesting topic? How am I going to approach it? What are the key indicators that may, that mean that this is a really an important topic? Uh, what are my aims from it? What are my research uh, questions? Okay, that's it, your intro. Then you go on to the, usually to the literature review. Now, if you are a professional practitioner and you're doing something around your practice, and uh, particularly if you're doing action research, then I would encourage you to have a professional reflection, and that's basically mining your own experience as as an illustration. And you can have that either after the introduction, or you can have it in the
1: you know you can have it depending on where it fits. Yes, Landry. Yeah, sorry. uh Where did you say abstract will come in? Is it at right? T- the abstract is written when you finish everything. Okay, Cool. Thanks. It's not written
0: until you literally everything is done. Okay. And then it comes at the beginning, but it's like any paper you pick up. If you pick up any journal article, you'll have an abstract. And the abstract tells you this journal article has done that. So it is written after everything has been done. Okay, thanks. That's okay. I mean, you know, when we are, I don't know if we're gonna get a chance to be in a classroom, but uh, if we get a chance and and this lockdown is lifted, I might just bring you all after Easter just to make sure you're all on the right track. because you have till September to do this. Okay, so a supervisor will be a member of the faculty staff. There'll be an experience, Everyone is an experienced researcher, and they hopefully will have an expertise. I can't always guarantee, like for instance, bilingualism. Uh, we don't. I mean, I, I think I only have like one person, which is Gordon, who was expert in ESOL, but not necessarily bilingualism. But you know. Uh, your supervisor, sorry, oops. your supervisor will help you finalize your proposal. So, how you're going to approach this? But you have to have it already in draft. Uh, they will also need to approve your ethics form. There would be your assessor. I told you that. Um, and they, uh, they will take. The, you need to take the initiative initiating and maintaining contact. So, your supervisor will not run after you saying, "I haven't seen you." It's up to you. They are there as a resource. It's your dissertation. It's your project. If you don't contact them, it's not for them to contact you. All right. And when you contact them to see them, always have something to discuss with them. You know, it's not just about just, oh, I'll just, I'll see you. What What is it you want to discuss? What's going on? Okay. And there is loads of uh, guidance in the handbook. So do please have a look at the handbook. It is on Moodle. Okay. Now, the proposal ethics form. Now, the proposal ethics forms are actually on Moodle. They are at the end of the handbook and they are on Moodle separately. So I'm just going to stop sharing this and show you where they are on Moodle, all right? So let's have a look, see where my Moodle page is. And my Moodle page keeps switching itself off. I do not understand what's going on today with Moodle. I keep opening the page and it keeps reverting back. I don't know why it's doing that. Okay, I'm just going to put it here so I can show it to you, here we go. So let's go back to all of you. and I'm going to share now my Moodle page, the Moodle page. Here we go. Now you should be able now to see the Moodle page. Okay? Now, so this is you. You are ML1, which means first occurrence, and you are full-time, full-time mode. 2020, 2021. Okay. So there you are. That's all of you studying. I like I like that picture. Okay. You've got the Bira Ethical Guidelines. So your ethics form has to be learned in the light of the Bira Ethical Guidelines. You've done these with Jane. Oh, by the way, Jane was meant to be with me today, but stupidly, I don't think I told her about it. I thought I did, and I didn't. So she's going to come next week. So she'll be here next week. I'll get her to talk to you again about ethics next week. There's the handbook. All right, the handbook is there. And there's, there's this PowerPoint I'm doing now. It's there with my voice over it. I might just collect some more. Now, can you see this? Proposal and Ethics Forms. Okay, there it is. Proposal and Ethics Forms. Now, let me open them. I might just open them. I'll open them, see if you can see them. Hopefully you can see them. Is it opening? Okay, here we are, it's open now uh word document i'm hoping you can see can you see the proposal and ethics forms let me just put them here
1: yes for now
0: thank (laughs) you so much okay so look how look how short it is it's not like what you did for easy eleven twenty nine. okay this is just the headlines so i'll maybe make them a bit bigger zoom okay not zoom that much Here we go. So, your name, the project start date, which is now January 2021. Project submission date is September 2021, about 25th, I think, roughly. Uh, Proposed title. Okay. Now, just put the title. It doesn't have to be pretty. Eventually, I will. go with it okay and then indicative literature so three to five texts that are key to this research have any of you had a go at doing this yet no yes looks like no that's fine next week you will okay mamaka did you do you do it no i did no i didn't okay fine so next week all of you have a go at a draft of this and we will get back together with you with the draft and i'm going to you in pairs and you're going to go through them and we will just tidy them up. it above, who will you be working with? Teachers, parents, adults, kids, age group, colleagues, who are you working with? What will you be asking to do? Is it questionnaires? Is it survey? Is it, I don't know, are you observing them? Are they going to take part in a a test? What are you going to do? Uh, Where will it happen? That's clear. Now, what do you consider to be the main risk of the participants? It's the usual thing, anonymity, confidentiality. Um, I'll get Jane next week to do a little bit on that again. Uh, refer to PIPA or BPS, now forget the pipa I think that's an old form, why am I using this old form? Sorry, I'll have to do, get this off. Okay, I think, it's, it's the same, don't worry about it. It's the same form, but it's a bit slightly, uh, um, How will you reduce the risk? How will you maintain anonymity? How will you maintain confidentiality? Remember also the uh, GD, GD, GDR, what's called? GDPR, GDPR, the, the data one, the General Data Protection Act. Uh, that's really important so you know how again informed consent how will you inform them usually there's a letter saying I'm a student and this is what I'm going to be doing uh, if you're happy to take part you can you know your anonymity will be uh, will be maintained nobody will know your name uh, you can leave anytime you want you don't have to you know you you can you don't have to take part but if you do you can also choose to change your mind uh, Uh, And you can also choose to to withdraw your data up to kind of two months before you have to submit because some people might say, you know what, I know I gave you my interview, but six weeks later they've changed their mind. Well, you have to give them a date saying, well, actually, you can change your mind up to let's say six weeks before I have to submit my dissertation, because otherwise, if they do it, you know, two days before, it's going to kind of mess up your dissertation. Um, And how will you deal with these risks? Okay, and then essentially forget the signed and dated, you just nothing is wet signature, In those is wet, wet signature, you just put your name and your supervisor will put their name and I'll put my name and essentially I'll keep a copy of that, I'll show you where. So these are, I will I will just fiddle around with these forms because I think I've put a slightly old form which is my fault, it's it's the same, it's exactly the same things I think it's just, I think I'll take out, I'll put Bira. I think it was 2016 or 2018 and uh Out. Okay, so we are back to the uh, to the Moodle. Can everyone see the Moodle? Yep, good, good, good. So I've I've got something here. You probably I don't know if you, you can probably see it because it's my view. I will change this because this was an old uh, link. Basically, I'm I'm going to ask you to submit them to turn it in. The reason is I'm not checking. I'm not marking them. I am not checking for uh, similarity. It's just a good place as a repository, otherwise I'll lose them if they come in the email. And emails to me, I've got 400 emails a day, I'll have no idea where they are. But in Turnitin, at least I know they're there, and then I can download them and send them to a supervisor. So it's just a place where I keep them. It's clearly just like a, a filing system. So that's why the Turnitin is there. Okay, so I'm just gonna stop sharing this one, uh, this one down. And I'm going to go back to sharing my PowerPoint. Here we go. Okay. Hopefully you can see the PowerPoint again. Why why can't I see you? I need to see all of you. Where are you? Here we go. Ah, There's all of you. Okay. So you put it in there. Next week we'll work on them. Uh, I'll give them to the appointed supervisor. And then I will email you saying, this person has agreed to supervise you. Now, it's your turn to email them. They won't email you again. It's your turn to organize to meet them. Sometimes, some people, I sometimes, a lot of the time I answer my emails quickly. And also, I've given all of you my mobile number, so you can always message me saying, you're not answering your emails. I do think they will give you their mobile numbers. I shouldn't really have them, but never mind. <laughs> it, was just, uh, it was just a funny, funny situation. Um, but some people might take two or three days to so answer an email sometimes. There's nothing I can do about that. They're still good supervisors. They just take you a little bit longer. Uh, I've had to say, so-and-so hasn't replied to me, and I have to go and poke them saying, reply, reply. You haven't replied. So it's okay. Some people are just a bit... Uh, take some time to answer. But it will be your your uh, job to meet them. So you arrange to meet with this supervisor. It will be online, clearly. Um, once your proposal, your ethics have been approved completely, uh, they're submitted to me... Um, If they are sensitive i will go to jane barnard because she is the school research ethics chair Uh, and i'll say jane just have another look at these we're not sure Um, you can only gather human data once the supervisor and i or the school uh, research uh, panel have approved your ethics form so don't try to interview anyone or start doing anything that's to do with humans yet and if you do don't tell me you've done it all right so no human contact. So basically, you can't say a boot to a goose unless we tell you you can. Even geese. It's to do with the you know confidentiality and all of that. <laughs> okay, so that's the proposal ethics form, and I will make sure I've got the most up to date on. Because I'm feeling this one slightly out of date. All right. So what's next? What is the research proposal? You saw it. It's a very simple form. It really shows what your objectives are. Uh, What might be the sources of your primary and secondary data? Uh, What might be your research methodology or your research design? What are you trying to find out? How are you going to try and find it out? And what what is the literature is guiding you towards asking these questions? Okay, so it's a detailed skeleton of the whole dissertation. The fine details are added when the literature review is completed, and the background research. So essentially, it's as I said, it's just a roadmap. It's it's a It's the way you think you're going to get somewhere, but it will change because your supervisor will give you some input. Okay, I'm going to leave ethics for now. So I will discuss ethics next week. So for now, I'm going to stop sharing. And what I'm going to do is, let me look at the time. Okay, I have some time still. I'm not going to keep you too long, Um, partly because I'm teaching three evenings a week as well as this afternoon. So I'm a... Bit, my brains are fried. What I want to do is, I'm going to put you how many of you? There's four here, and five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve of you. Great. So, I'm going to put you in uh, six rooms, I think. I'm hoping you'll all be allocated to rooms. Okay, it says I have eleven people, not twelve. Why the not it show twelve? So, if I do five rooms or four rooms, how many will Okay, two to three per room, that's good. So I'm going to make four breakout rooms, and I'm going to allocate you um, randomly. And essentially, what I want you to do in the rooms is to discuss your... Um, Amal, uh, let's see if I can appoint you. Okay. Amal? Amal. Oh, can I, you... Yeah, can you... Here. And exit and enter again. It's just that it won't oh. allow me to point you in any of the rooms. Yeah. So try exiting and entering again from the Moodle page. Come okay. from, do from Moodle And that might allow you to, because clearly it okay. just won't let me do an room. Right, yeah.
1: I, I think I had the same problem, but I joined through the Moodle. You're okay right now, yeah.
0: Oh. Yeah, you, uh, yeah, I think you have to join through Moodle. Yeah, I, 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 I do. Think yeah, that's fine. I think if, if people join through Moodle, they're fine. Uh, I've got, oh yeah, okay. So I'm just seeing if everybody's here. Good. So what I'm going to do, I'm just waiting for Amal to come back again. So what I want you to do, because it's going to be either two or three of you in, in every room, won't be more than that, is to discuss your idea for your dissertation. Essentially, what's your topic? And not just the broad topic, what's the focus? So try and discuss down to what is the focus you're going to have for your topic. And as I said, that's only going to be three hopefully of you in every room so okay amel is back oh yes fantastic i can assign you to room four which is great here we go so there's actually 12 of you i'm going to start the room i'm going to give you 10 minutes and essentially you are discussing your topic so when you come back i want you to have come up with some kind of title all right and you're discussing it with each other so you're giving each other feedback on whether that title or that topic yeah. makes sense. So each two are judging the other person. So you've got, can, let me see, let me give you 12 minutes because then it means every person has like four minutes to, to tell the other people what their title is. So we'll come back at 10 past, which gives you all 12 minutes. I'm gonna start the rooms now. Here we go.
1: Over the years, I have uh, practised media, uh, professionally speaking, um, uh, especially in the area of print and also, of course, uh, in the digital form of of things. I have used applications uh, like Photoshop, uh, InDesign, and and all of that. And uh, my presence on social media has also allowed me Uh, to reach out to a very wide you know spectrum of people uh, who these people I call you know target audience um, um, politicians uh, charities you know business people and all of that I have been able to do that over the years and then of course I have my presence on uh, uh, platforms like Twitter uh, like Facebook like Instagram I use WhatsApp also you know uh particularly the, the the DP side of thing where you display uh your content you know and then of course I've also uh, you've been able to use LinkedIn and all of that I've been able to use that and they've really really been helpful yeah uh they've been helpful uh using them also uh to comment on social issues political issues cultural issues sometimes religious uh, issues. So I, I've done that really uh, over the years. Uh, but that said, uh, I think uh, last year as, and this year with uh, the, the election that took place in America and then all the, the issues that, that came with it, especially with, with Twitter, you know, uh, banning Trump, uh, uh, Facebook banning Trump, I think there are limitations also are thing to these things uh because if you look at that, some people comment that uh it was an infringement on uh trump's uh, freedom of speech and my take however is is this that uh freedom of speech uh comes also with being responsible uh with what we say and how we say uh what we say you know so the fear really is is going forward is uh, if one is not careful, uh, uh, social media um, platform like Twitter, Facebook, people commenting stuff can also create problem. You know, in the world, uh, problem in the nations of the world. As a matter of how you have some countries who are very wary of you know social media because they feel that can have actually affect the way government you know is run. Uh, so I mean, uh, in terms of uh, social media, what people say there, we really really have to watch. Uh, all of that and people should be able to hone up to what they are saying and be very careful uh, in terms of the content uh, they have put in there so that people will not be offended and then it will not create unrest in our society. Uh, So that's my take.